Well, thank you for being uh, here at the 1130 service at our North Richmond Hills campus. And thank you for all of you that are watching online. I'll be honest, I always love to preach here, but sometimes they're just even more special. Easter weekend, it's just a special time to preach. Christmas Eve is a special time. And one of my very favorite weekends of our year is Renew Weekend. So next week, we're going to very tangibly partner with God to help the people that Jesus told us to help the most. Last year at Renew Weekend, this church gave over a million dollars in one weekend, and every penny was given away to organizations that help people in need in the name of Jesus. Now, some of you are new to our church, and you don't know much about these organizations, so I'm going to suggest that you go to our website, and you can find easily the link to all the organizations we partner with, 12 different wonderful organizations. You can read about what they're about, who they help, how they do it. You can watch videos, but I will warn you in advance, I did this last year. I went to all the sites, I read all the words, I watched all the videos, and every one of them tugged my heart. So last year was the first time I gave money to every single organization and felt awesome about it. So I would encourage you to do the same thing. Be an informed giver next weekend. Come Wednesday night, tonight of worship, do your homework, and let's be prepared next weekend to just give more than we've ever given in Jesus' name to help the people Jesus told us to care about the most. Now, this is also a special weekend for me because we're wrapping up one of the favorite series I've done in a long time. We have been asking the question, is there a better way to live in Babylon in a culture that doesn't always align itself with the values of God? And Daniel has been our model. We've called it looking for life hacks. And life hacks are simply just resourceful, innovative ways to solve problems. I've given you these questions every week for your community groups, and you may want to go get them, download them, and pursue this this summer with a small group. But I think the metaphor has connected because I have gotten so many emails from you about life hacks. Some of you have tried some of the life hacks that we've shown on the screen. Some of you have invented life hacks and sent them to me, and you found life hacks and sent them to me. And I hope this will keep going even into your later years. So I thought we would close the series by asking, are there some life hacks that would be helpful to older people? And there are. For example, as you get older and less strong, it can be difficult to open those heavy drawers. So here's what you do. Have someone just put some ropes or cables where the knobs used to be, and that's so much easier to pull out when you're not as strong. It doesn't look quite as well, but trust me, you're going to reach a certain age where appearance is not that important anymore, okay? That's a wonderful life hack. That doesn't mean you should just give in to a declining body. You want to stay as strong as you can, right? But as you get older, you may not have time or the ability to go to a gym or to buy heavy barbells. That's okay. You don't need barbells. Just go to your pantry and get a can of soup. Sit down in your chair. Start with soup. That's the lightest. When you get stronger, go to cream corn. Go to ranch-style beans. When you get really muscly, you can do wolf brand chili. And right there in your own home, life hack, you can stay fit. 
But here's the life hack that if you're my age or older, you need the most. Because I'll be honest, I love technology, but it intimidates me a little bit. I can't keep up with it. Remote controls have gotten so complicated. You can sit on your couch now, if you know what you're doing, you can watch a show, you can tape a show, you can pop microwave popcorn, you can order shoes online, and you can launch a missile, all while you're sitting there on your couch. And it scares me. So if you're thinking about buying a big new entertainment system, but the programming scares you, call your 14-year-old grandson. Have him come over and set up everything just like you want it. And then here's what you do. You get some tape and you cover that remote so that the only thing showing is on, off, volume, and channel. That's a wonderful life hack if you're an older person. Because here's the truth. You cannot help getting older, but you must intend to get better. Great starts will grab the headlines, but it is great finishes that establish legacies. I reflect on that this time of year because we get so many invitations to weddings this season. I've preached so many weddings And I've never preached or been to a wedding that people didn't leave and say, that was a lovely wedding. But I have learned that the niceness of a wedding has nothing to do with the future of the marriage. Because it's not hard to start. It's the actual work of running the race that's hard. That's why I appreciated the story I heard recently of a couple up in Ohio that got married uh, Lynette and Stephen Kledchka at the very beginning of a half marathon. They exchanged their vows and then they ran the race. Now think about that metaphor. In some ways they're saying it's easy to start a marriage. But if we're going to have a future, we're going to have to deal with conditions and exhaustion and hills and storms. It's not how we start that people are going to remember. It's how we finish. And that's why we remember Daniel, because he never retired from God's call on his life. And some of you need to hear that right now. You never reach a point in your life where you retire from the mission of God. We saw Daniel taken into exile when he was just a teenager. In chapter one, he's just a young man. By the time you get to chapter 6, he has lived in Babylon 70 years. He is in his 80s. He has lived his entire adult life in exile. But we remember him and his faith. It had a lasting impact because Daniel never changed jerseys. So... Brad Crawford from the uh, Southlake campus sent me a story recently of a time in the mid-90s when he was at a movie theater in Grapevine in line to buy tickets, and a buzz went through the crowd. And he turned to see what it was about and knew immediately because he recognized Troy Aikman. Now, for the very young people here, Troy Aikman was the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys in the mid-90s back when they were winning Super Bowls. 
And for the young people here, the Dallas Cowboys used to play in Super Bowls. So he was a very popular sports figure in our area. And Brad was by a dad with three young boys who got very excited and said, Daddy, can we go meet Troy Aikman? He said, sure. So they ran off excitedly, but after a minute or two, they came back rather dejected. He was wondering, was Mr. Aikman rude to his boys? Did you talk to Mr. Aikman? No, Daddy, we didn't. We got right up to him, but then we realized that we couldn't. Why couldn't you talk to Troy Aikman? They pointed to their youngest brother, who was wearing a San Francisco's 49er jersey. (laughs) Now, that is not that kid's fault. That is bad parenting if you let your children out of the house dressed like that, okay? For 70 years, Daniel has worn his God of Israel jersey. Now, he lived in Babylon, and he blessed Babylon. He served Babylon well, but he served Babylon second. He served God in Babylon, and he served Babylon for God all the way to the finish line. In fact, his faith literally outlasted Babylon. By the time you get to chapter 6, it's now the Persian Empire that is in power. To the very finish, Daniel wore his jersey, and his faith lasted. And don't think, by the way, that the older you get, the smaller the temptation gets to switch jerseys. Because the hardest test Daniel's ever going to face was going to be in the very last years of his life. So, chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So what does lasting faith look like? The kind of faith that gets the attention of Babylon. Well, first thing you know is that it's going to get tested for integrity. Now, once again, here's Daniel. He is serving in a pagan culture with competence, with excellence. He didn't choose the culture, but that's where God put him. And so that's where he served. Because Daniel understood that faith is personal. But it is not private. Now, some of you need to hear that because there is a foolish idea floating out there in the culture that it's okay to have your faith just as long as you keep it to yourself and it never enters the public arena. That's not real faith. Authentic faith shapes and informs every part of your life. In 2012... 
a woman named Cara Tippett. She was the wife of a church planter, contracted cancer. She succumbed to that disease in 2015. And during those three years, she started a blog that grew a huge following as she journaled about her journey dealing with cancer. But what I loved about it was that it wasn't, as you might expect, about the high moments and the low moments. It was about the everyday moments. It's about what's it like to believe in God, wake up with cancer, and go get the kids ready for school. And fix lunches. And carpool. And go to soccer practice. And go to the grocery store. And talk to your neighbor. And she titled her blog, Mundane faithfulness. And I love that. Because if it's authentic faith, there's nothing too big and there's nothing too small that faith won't speak into. And so Daniel didn't have a faith that belonged in one sphere and his job worked out in another. He understood that faith must inform his job. That's why he worked the way he worked. That's why he was trustworthy. That's why you couldn't find corruption in Daniel doing things at the job he shouldn't be doing. That's why you couldn't find negligence in Daniel not doing things at the job that he ought to be doing. You see, Daniel understood what everybody that lives in Babylon needs to understand. The marketplace is the very best mission field. Sometimes people who get on fire for Jesus will come to me and say, I'm thinking of quitting my job and going to seminary so I can be a missionary. And I say, you're already a missionary. Every day you are in places I will never get invited to. The marketplace is the best mission field. Because at the job, your faith is going to be exposed for what it really is. People you work with are going to know if you are consistent or inconsistent as you live out your faith. And integrity is so convincing. But it can also be quite convicting as people realize you're living by a standard they could reach but don't. So in the 1970s, Gerald Ford, who was then president of the United States, played a round of golf in a pro-am with Billy Graham, probably the most influential evangelist of the last several generations. They also played with Jack Nicklaus, the greatest golfer in the world at that time, and a fourth pro golfer. So when the round was over, a friend and a fellow pro golfer asked the fourth player, What was it like to play golf with Reverend Graham? And after a couple of expletives, that golfer said, I don't need Billy Graham shoving religion down my throat. And he went off to the driving range to take his fury out on a bucket of balls. And so later, that other pro golfer asked his friend, So I guess Dr. Graham was pretty rough on you out there, huh? To which he replied, Well, to be honest... Reverend Graham never even brought up the subject of religion. He simply lived his life with such authenticity and integrity that the man felt convicted. And so did Daniel's co-workers. 
They were lining their pockets through corrupt politics. And they knew when Daniel is in charge, that will stop. So how can we stop Daniel from ever getting in charge? And here's what they realized. Our only hope is something that has to do with the law of his God. Because Daniel is not going to change jerseys. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Their plan is still popular. Limit religious liberty. Let's curtail religious liberty and see what Daniel does. And here's the irony. They had no idea how much religious liberty had blessed their land. Do you remember that I told you that through the prophet Jeremiah... Long before they went into Babylonian captivity, God had told the Jewish people they were going. And through Jeremiah, he prepared them. He said, now listen, you're going. So go ahead and marry. Go ahead and build houses. Go ahead and plant fields. Because you're going to be in Babylon for a while. And then this is what God told the exiles to do. He said, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray for Babylon. I know you don't always agree with Babylon. I know you don't admire the values of Babylon. But pray for the city. Now, they're putting into law the removal of the prayers that have been blessing the city. And history just repeats itself. I I think some parallels in our own culture. More and more, the exercise of religious liberty in our country is being taken away. And here's the irony. I believe what made our own land great was a Judeo-Christian ethic from the beginning that we built it on. Think about it. Values like sanctity of life, the equality of all people, justice is for all, not just for some. These values haven't been around forever. In the ancient world, nobody believed that. It was the gospel of Jesus that developed those values. And our country started a nation on this Judeo-Christian ethic that we're now undermining. So I wonder what will be the future of a culture that undermines the very ethic that helped make it great. I don't know if our future is going to be darker or brighter. I think we're going to have to prepare our children and our grandchildren for the possibility that religious liberties will more and more come under attack. We're going to have to help them understand that lasting faith sets honoring God above all else. 
And so Daniel, when he heard that it was now illegal to pray to his God, could easily have rationalized not praying. He could have thought, you know what? I have been praying to God for 80 years. I have earned a month off. He could have thought, you know what? I'll just hide my prayers. I'll pray in the closet. Isn't there a verse somewhere in the Bible about you're supposed to pray in the closet? I'll still pray, but I won't let anybody know about my faith. He could have thought, you know what? God needs me in this job. I can do a lot of good for God in this job. So whatever I have to compromise to keep this job is worth it. Here's the thing. Crisis does not tend to create who you are. Crisis tends to reveal who you are. Daniel didn't flaunt his prayer life. But he wasn't going to hide it. And so we come to what, in my opinion, is not just the best verse in the chapter, but one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Just as he had done before. How could Daniel keep that jersey on? Daniel set into his life certain rhythms, certain patterns that he was going to keep to nurture his faith and to keep his soul healthy. And prayer was one of them. And don't tell me you're too busy to have that rhythm. This man was prime minister of the greatest nation on earth. Your job is not harder than his job. And it was critical to Daniel to spend that time with God. He didn't save prayer for a crisis. Prayer was how he nurtured a soul that was prepared when crisis came. But you might think, well, but couldn't they have done it in private? I mean, why did he have to go to the window to pray? Well, a couple of thoughts. One, Daniel knew that God was watching how he was going to respond. So he didn't care who else watched. That'll help you in Babylon. When you remember, no matter where you are, no matter what the test is, God's watching. You see, Daniel said, it's more dangerous for me to get disconnected from God than it is to disapprove my culture. But there's something else going on. When Daniel got to that window and he faced Jerusalem he's making a not so subtle revolutionary statement about his vision for the future remember how Jeremiah was God's vessel to tell the people what was coming go back to chapter 29 this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, Daniel wasn't just a man of prayer. Daniel was a man of the word. Daniel read his Bible. And Daniel thought to himself, this promise is ready to be fulfilled. It's been 70 years. So, chapter 9. 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and in petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. That's why that window faced Jerusalem. That's why he didn't care who saw him. He was announcing to the world, my hope for the future is not in the city that Nebuchadnezzar built. It's in the city that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. My hope is not in this kingdom. My hope is in the kingdom of God. And that's why when they came to arrest Daniel, he could stay calm. Because he had already settled deep down inside which kingdom would get his first allegiance. When we moved to Fort Worth, our oldest child at that time was just turned three. His name was Michael. Now, Jamie was one of these moms that was not going to buy kids guns. And here's what we learned about little boys. They turn anything into a gun. A stick is a gun. A mop is a gun. A banana is a gun. So she had decided by this point it would be okay if he had some toy guns. So it's bedtime. And that night Jamie read Michael the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And she said, Michael, what would you do if you were in a den with lions? He said, I would get my guns and I would shoot those lions. And Jamie was wanting a little more spiritual application. So she tried again. But Michael, what if you didn't have your guns? Would you pray, God, God, save me from the lions? He said, no, Mama. I would say, God, God, send my guns. Because... When we're in Babylon and Babylon pushes against us, we want to push back in our strength. We want to take matters into our own hands. Daniel doesn't do that. They bring him before the king. He doesn't scream. He doesn't protest. He doesn't argue that he's been framed. He just says, king, you know what kind of man I've always been. I've never hid the fact that my first allegiance is to the God of Israel. I am who I am. I've served you well. I've been an honest and good employee. You do what you have to do. But I'm not going to stop being who I have to be. And the king wanted a man like that in his government. He wanted to exonerate Daniel. But he's got this dilemma because the law says you can't change your mind. And so it says... The king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, notice, not just sometimes, but continually, may he rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating And without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Because his conscience is bothering him. Because he's convicted by the integrity of the man he's punishing. Daniel is resting better in the den than the king is in the palace. Because 
Daniel knows lasting faith lets God have the last word. When you do what's right, you can rest and trust God with the results. you got to remember, Daniel doesn't know the end of the story. Daniel is living in the middle of the story. I think sometimes we miss the power of the story by the way we read it, because we know how it ends. We say, isn't that a great story? Daniel got out of the lion's den. No, it's a great story because Daniel got into the lion's den. He didn't know if he would get out. He didn't know what would happen. But he knew who he was going to be. He knew where he was going to stand. He knew what jersey he was going to wear. And he would let God have the last word. Faith doesn't promise that you get the last word. Faith trusts the promise that God will have it. And he does. And so, at the first light of dawn... The king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, again notice, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions. And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And you know, this story that we often think is mainly for kids has actually shaped and informed the lives of believers of God for centuries. When I preached through Jonah, I told you that in the catacombs... The Christians that were martyred by Rome that they referred to as Babylon would often put a fresco of Jonah and the whale over their grave. The other very popular fresco you find in the catacombs is something like this. Daniel and the lion's den. Think about it. Why would the early Christians who were told to compromise or die And who chose martyrdom. Why would they want a picture of Daniel in the lion's den. Over their grave. You see the early Christians. Saw a lot of parallels between Daniel. And Jesus. Both were framed. By people who were jealous of them. Both were arrested after they prayed. Both had government officials who wanted to release them but gave in to pressure. Both entrusted themselves to God rather than try to defend themselves. Both were put into a hole in the ground. And it was covered by a large stone. And both were raised up and vindicated. Because they trusted God. How do you outlast Babylon? You remember that God has the last word. And the last word is resurrection. 
faithfulness will be rewarded at last. And so I don't know if our own babbling is going to get lighter or darker. What I do know is that we can finish strong. We can keep our jersey on. We can outlast Babylon. I hope the story inspires you as much as it did Paul. He's before Caesar. And he won't give up Jesus. And they send him back to prison and he knows he's going to die. And the last thing we know he ever wrote in prison before he died was to his son in the faith, a young man named Timothy. And these are some of the very last words Paul ever wrote. In my first defense, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. May I not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. And all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. He remembered Daniel. And when Paul says, I was delivered, he doesn't mean... I'm not going to die. He means God was with me. God gave me strength. I never pulled off my jersey. I proclaimed the gospel all the way to the finish line. You live for the everlasting. And you will outlast Babylon. So... A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to my old college friend, Max Licato. And Max shared a story with me, and I got his permission to share it with you. So about two years ago, Max was at the Cove, a retreat center run by the Billy Graham Association just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. He was going to host an event with Michael W. Smith, a well-known Christian musician. They met in the afternoon to make their plans, but Michael was having trouble concentrating. He wasn't focused, and Max asked him why, and Michael said, I, um, I can't get over what happened this morning. That morning, Michael had been invited along with Billy Graham's pastor to meet with Dr. Graham at his home. At this point, Dr. Graham was 94 years old. He's very feeble now. He was in a wheelchair. He was on oxygen, but his mind was still sharp. And Dr. Graham had invited Michael Smith and his pastor to plan his funeral. And Michael told Max, he made a request I've never heard before. He asked us at his funeral not to mention his name. Would we only mention the name of Jesus? Billy Graham has preached to one billion people. 
He has filled stadiums around the world. He's probably the best-known believer of the last three generations. And when he crosses the finish line, he doesn't want you to think of his name. He wants you to think of Jesus. Finish strong, my friends. Finish strong. Do not take off your Jesus jersey. And your reward will be everlasting. Would you pray with me? So God, we repent today if we have allowed fear or anxiety to consume us regarding our culture. We'll stop wishing it was different and we live somewhere else. This is our time. This is our moment. This is where you chose for us to be. So we will embrace where we are and when we are and live on mission for Jesus. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to be faithful. And help us to love everybody for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let me ask you all to stand. If you're on the prayer team upstairs, downstairs, take your place. We want to encourage you today, if you feel like Daniel, if you feel abandoned, if you feel in a tough place, you're not alone. The angels are around you and God is with you. And we want to remind you of that today. We want to do something else. I want to invite you to get a Jesus jersey if you don't have one. I'm serious. The Bible says that when you're baptized in Jesus, you're clothed with Jesus. And so if you don't have a Jesus jersey, you need to come and get baptized today. And wear it, wear it to the very finish. God is with us. God is strong. God is on the throne. You are not alone. Let's worship.